Broadcasting from the 10 Hudson Square building, home of WNYC Radio in Soho, New York, welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful, purpose-driven companies. My guest today is Lee Barnes. Lee is Chief Customer Officer at Intrepid Group, the world's largest adventure travel company. Intrepid Group pioneered an approach to travel that benefits both travelers and the places and people they visit. As a certified B Corp, the company is committed to giving back to over 120 countries in which it operates by creating jobs, curbing over-tourism, and supporting local businesses. They also have a goal to be climate positive by 2020. Since stepping up from a marketing role to chief purpose officer in 2018, Lee has led the company's sustainable growth, working alongside the Intrepid Foundation to bring positive impact to in-need communities. The foundation matches travelers' donations dollar for dollar, to date donating over $7.5 million to the organizations it supports. Now Chief Customer Officer, Lee has leveraged his passion for travel, the planet, and people to guide Intrepid Group in their mission to promote responsible travel and change the way people see the world. Lee Barnes, welcome to Brand on Purpose and all the way from Australia. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. That was probably one of the more impressive introductions I think I've ever had. It definitely made me sound probably more impressive than I am. So thanks so much for that, that lovely intro and, and thanks for having me on your show. Well, it's great to have you on. And the person you could really thank is the woman named Katrina Walkley to my right who wrote that for me and she did a great job. So thanks well, for saying that. Thanks so much. <laughs> So let's just start with this tension and kind of the contradictions that come along with sustainability and impact and tourism. So, you know, I know that tourism is an important way to expose people to new cultures and raise awareness for global causes, but obviously it has a negative cultural and environmental impact as well. It sounds like the Intrepid Group, and I know you're part of a larger travel organization as well, is trying to change that. Why don't we just start there? Because I also know that cities like Amsterdam and Venice and many others are also trying to implement measures to curb the number of visitors. So how does Intrepid Group balance this tension to ensure that you're making a positive impact in the world while at the same time allowing people to continue to explore, meet others and expose themselves to new cultures? It's, it's a challenge and it's something we own up to every day. I think that we know that travel changes the way people see the world. As you touched on, it's a great connector. It opens people up to cultures and makes them more accepting. And also the fact that tourism is a great way to get money directly into communities and is a great way of getting money into areas that need it. And we also know it's one of the world's biggest sectors employing one in 10 people globally. So some amazing positive impacts from tourism. But yes, there's the flip side and the inherent tension that comes along with that. We know that the tourism sector is growing. We know that it is putting pressure on certain destinations from an over-tourism point of view. We also know the flip side is that more that we travel, the more carbon that we're actually creating. So there's a number of different tension points that come across, whether it's the fact that we're flying and the impact on the planet, but then also the positive and negative impacts of how we engage with communities. And travel is a particular unique industry in so fact that it's not purely manufacturing a product and travel more than any other industry needs amazing beautiful pristine environments and we also need incredibly engaged communities that want tourism there that they engage with and they interact with so we really try and set ourselves up knowing that there is this tension and trying to solve or trying to have a positive impact built into our product that helps alleviate these things 
So we take a framework or take a look that we want to be the best travel company for the world, not the best, not the biggest, the best for the world. And we try and come up with ways that we can tackle and play against or play with some of these tensions. In about 2010, we really started to look at our role with carbon. We knew we were growing rapidly and were having impacts in the way that the amount of carbon that was being created. At that time, we set ourselves the goal to be carbon neutral. And we've been measuring, offsetting and reducing our carbon over the last 10 years. And we've really set ourselves a target for next year to be climate positive. We'll be signing up to the UNGC science-based targets to reduce and decarbonise our business. We've also helped invest and raise funds for a seaweed program off the coast of Tasmania that offset that draws down carbon out of the atmosphere, which is an incredibly cool project. And we've raised now over six hundred thousand dollars to go towards building those platforms. And we offset our carbon at one hundred and twenty-five percent, so we go above and beyond. But there is that tension that we've got to find ways to reduce the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. We're rapidly trying to do that through our science-based targets to decarbonise our business over the next 10 to 20 years. There's also that tension around the positive impact that dollars get into the community and how we engage and interact. And we're always looking at ways to solve that to solve that problem by going into communities that want tourism. We're doing a lot of work around community-based tourism, engaging with communities that that need diversification of their revenue, where maybe agriculture was the form of job creation, that that is no longer the case and they need to develop other streams. So we've been working with a lot of communities to help develop projects on the ground. But yeah, there's a number of different ways that we work with tensions across the board and we really try and build that impact into the product. So the actual product itself travels in the right way, engages with the community in the right way, and the product itself has that impact built into it. The actual programs that you offer your your customers, or I don't know if you call them customers or clients. Customers. Customers, okay. My guess is that that isn't as hard to design, right? Because you're probably very mindful of the environment, the impact to the local communities, you're looking to give back, and you probably have that down. It's it's this stuff that you really can't control how they got there, right? The airplane ride or how they're getting to these destinations, yeah. right? Yeah. It's and because you're part of a larger ecosystem, a larger apparatus. So so that's why it sounds like it makes sense that you're doing all these partnerships as well. Yeah, and I think also to the landscape around what goes into our product and what's considered good and positive impact is always changing. We've done a lot of work recently around modern slavery and removing child orphanage visits from our trips. So I think, yes, we're able to control our own supply chain, but what we do within that is rapidly changing all the time. You know, orphanage tourism was a big part of adventure travel for, for a long time, and we really only started to understand the negative impacts over the last five years, and we've moved to remove those visits from our trips, but also starting to tackle with modern slavery around what's happening deeper into our supply chain. And I suppose your second point there, what's happening throughout the larger ecosystem. And I think modern slavery and tourism supply chains is going to be one of the hot topics over the next five years. I think over tourism and carbon are the really big ones we're seeing right here, right now. But I think beyond that, really understanding what's happening in the tourism ecosystem and the tourism supply chain is going to be a big focus. Did you say orphanage tourism? What is that? Yeah, so for a long time, especially in countries like Nepal, Cambodia, 
people were visiting orphanages under the guise, you know, to do the right thing. You know, they were going there to interact with the orphanage to help raise funds and engage with orphanages and, and children in need. And that was quite popular in some of those countries that I just touched on. What we found over research that unfortunately that a lot of the children were not actually orphans, but that they were part of a larger systematic issue where the orphanages were being run as businesses, as revenue raising because of tourism coming through. And also too, you can imagine that having, you know, children were already with separation and anxiety issues, having people come in for one or two days and leave that it caused more issues. And then also that people that weren't vetted were getting access to children. So I think something that started off as something positive and, and in the right light that we wanted to help support these children in need started to become an industry and started to develop some real issues with it. Um, and as we dug under the surface, we found that we weren't comfortable with it and we, we don't think that you know children are tourist attractions and, and children shouldn't be treated as such. So we've really removed any or we have removed orphanage visits from our product. And we've been campaigning quite hard that they should no longer be part of the, the tourism supply chain. Right. So something that started off with very great intentions and well-meaning became corrupt, which happens, unfortunately. It does. And, and you know, a number of reasons and, and things happen to, to, to occur. There are orphanages doing amazing work out there and we still support orphanages through a number of different channels in our business. But we don't want to, you know, we just don't think children are the tourist attractions and that we should be supporting orphanages in other ways than and visiting them. Well, and the way you're set up and built, you you clearly have a very strong lens and aperture for which you're evaluating and looking at everything you're doing because you are purpose-built and purpose-driven. Were there other programs that you might have either participated in or offered that over time they've evolved to something that might not have necessarily been as, as good-willed and you had to move away from? Yeah, I think it's important. You know, we are we have a purpose and profit strategy, and we, you know, really looking to ensure that we are commercially viable and sustainable, but also doing the, the right things through our products and how we run our businesses. And I think what one of the things that enables us to do is that we own our mistakes, and, and we have made mistakes over the journey. And I think one of the ones that has probably been our biggest mistake has been elephant riding, and we've really did a lot of research to see. What was the, should we be riding elephants? It was the preeminent adventure tourism experience and probably would have been huge on Instagram at, at the time. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, lot of social media pictures of people riding elephants and we were using it a lot in our trips. And we did research into it. We found that the breaking in process for elephants is absolutely horrible. They aren't domesticated animals and the way that they were treated and the conditions that they were in was just not up to scratch. At the time, it was a pretty risky decision for us. Southeast Asia is probably about 30%, was about 30% of our business, maybe more at that particular time. And as I said, elephant riding was considered like the must-do while you were in places like Thailand and Cambodia. And we had pretty robust discussions and we, we took the decision to remove elephant rides from our trips. And since that moment, we've seen sales in Southeast Asia increase drastically. We've seen over 100 other companies now remove elephant rides from their portfolio. And we've also seen organizations like TripAdvisor also remove elephant rides from the products that they're selling. So that's just one example, but there's a lot of them where we work really hard to find things that we may not be doing up to scratch, owning them, taking really hard ownership around what we haven't done right. It's the same with the carbon, it's the same with orphanage visits. 
we weren't doing this the right way. We've identified it, we've owned it, and we put in place solutions to help turn that around. So it, we're always uncovering things and we're always striving to be better. And, you know, you do uncover some things that, that we shouldn't have been doing at the time. And we, we look to really rectify and grow from that. But kudos to you. I mean, most companies would not be willing to give up 30% of their revenue uh, in, in almost any situation. You could have just kind of turned a blind eye to it and waited for that to be have someone else create that momentum or have it be regulated, but you didn't because that's not who you are and it's not what you're about. I think the thing we've learned though, and I think this is the thing for all companies, when we're seeing this, you know, I think the tide's turning, but we're seeing companies understand the fact that we need to create value beyond just value for our shareholders. The more that we find that we have positive impact in our product, that our product that we create is doing the right thing, the more we find that we do that, the more our customers want it. And we find that the customers, the product improves and the customer feedback scores increase the more we make these decisions. Because people, you know, don't want to be hurting elephants. Like, that, that's, that's clear as day. And once they understand that and we talk to them and explain that, they think the experience is even better. And they may not have enjoyed the elephant ride. They could have seen the elephant was, was in harm. We weren't doing the right, the right things at the time to pick that up. So I think what we've learned and I think where we keep taking our direction here is that by building the impact into the product, by continually trying to make the product do better things, not only for the customer, but for the planet and the communities we engage with, it makes the product better. And we're seeing this come, you know, across, you know, some big companies now, whether it's, you know, Adidas making shoes out of completely recycled goods. You know, we see Patagonia be going from strength to strength. We're seeing this become an actual business strategy by building positive impacts into your product. The customer reacts in a positive way. And you're part of a larger company called, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Peregrine Adventures. I've definitely seen brochures and, and pamphlets hit my house. Yeah. So the Intrepid Group is our bigger, broader business. And underneath the Intrepid Group, we have a series of brands, Peregrine, Intrepid Travel, the Intrepid Foundation, Urban Adventures. So the overarching group is the Intrepid Group. And Peregrine's one of our offerings that we have within that group. And is Peregrine then held to the same standards? I'm assuming everybody's held to the same B Corp level, purpose-driven standards yeah. as Intrepid. Okay, so I got it the other way around. Okay. Yeah, so all, 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 those brand, all those businesses went through the B Corp auditing process. We ordered all of our global companies, everywhere from Marrakesh to Toronto to Lima. And we all went through a very rigorous process to become a B Corp. That took us almost three years. I think we thought it would take us six months. But we've come out the the other side of better company, and that B Corp's really driven some positive benefits to the business. But all of our offices and brands fall under that B Corp certification. I want to have the guys from B Corp on because you know I hear both sides of it. I I spoke to Ben and Jerry's a few weeks ago, and they're one of the first B Corps, and they're definitely an OG brand when it comes to purpose driven and social mission. Yep, as part of their very essence, their being. And then I had Deckers on, you know, they, they own UGG, of course, you're very familiar with UGG and Hoka One One and Teva. And I wasn't trying to stereotype Australians in Australia with UGG, by the way. <laughs> and their CEO, great guy, is like, we do everything that a B Corp would do, maybe even go further. But they looked at the process, they looked at their resource and they're like, forget it, screw it. We, we don't have the time to do that. And they're a publicly traded company. So it sounds, though, like B Corp in that three-year process uncovered more things that you hadn't thought of that now you're doing that actually hardened you to become even better than you were before, yes. if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, 100%. I think the way we've looked at it is like your audit process. Yeah, we do our finance, we have a heap of accountants, 
Um, and they work away doing great work, but we still need an auditor to, co- auditor to come in and say, yeah, this is the right way. Hey, you need to improve this. And, and B Corp's really provided that. It's validated the things we're doing, but it's also highlighted where we need to get better. Yeah, it was a lot of work, but it's made us a better organization and probably challenged some of the assumptions that we had and really taken us that next step. Well, one of the clear tangible benefits and probably the more interesting examples I found was through the process in our supply chain, they were looking at how we did some of our contracting. And it came up that the contracts we had in certain places, we do a lot of home states, right? So home states in Egypt, throughout Southeast Asia, Africa. They found that in Egypt, the home stays that we had and the local interactions at those points, the contracts were always held with the men. Even though the woman or the mother or the, the female lead in that family was actually running the business. Now, what that caused is because the person running the business didn't have control of the contracting, they weren't in control of their business. They weren't in control of how much money they were getting paid. They weren't in control of when they worked, how they worked, and what product they were offering. And B Corp enabled us to see that, understand, say, hey, what should we be doing with our contracting here? Who should we be contracting with? Why have we been just contracting with the male and the family? And we've gone through a process now working with those businesses to actually get the contracting and the relationship with the person running the business, which was quite often the female in that organize, in that in that family. And that's helped them take control. So that's one tangible experience, one tangible benefit from it. It also highlighted too that although we do a lot of work in communities globally where we travel, we weren't doing enough where our actual offices located. And it really shone a light that we needed to be better organization in Melbourne, where we have an office, in Marrakesh, where we have an office, in Myanmar, where we have an office. So really where we have those locations, we needed to engage and interact with the local community better. So for us, it was a hell of a lot of hard work. Was it worth it? Yes. I think we all need external validation beyond just our financials. And it's really helped us focus on creating value beyond just value for our shareholders, how we engage with the community, how we engage with our workers, and how we do things with the environment. So we've found that part really strong. And we're also starting to see the benefit of being in the, the network effect by being in this community, by working with other organisations, whether it's having conversations with Ben and Jerry, or we've seen The Guardian come on board. There's that network effect too, where you're able to, to be associated with these brands. We were able recently hear one of the big things was the climate strike, the student-led climate strike, and a number of B Corps came together to help support a movement called Not Business as Usual to promote that, to encourage businesses to help support students go on strike. So there are benefits that come with it beyond just that audit process as well. There's a community and you're able to help advocate and take causes using the strength of that community. And it goes back to what you said earlier, how travel and tourism actually touches so many different aspects of society, right? And I had no idea and I would have never thought to surface an issue or think that travel could be so gendered, right? In the way you use that example and all the other examples that, that, that you're raising. And I'm sure there's literally hundreds of them because unfortunately, and I'm just naive, like maybe a lot of people, when I think, oh, you know, adventure tourism, sustainable, I'm just thinking, oh, don't step there, step here. You know, <laughs> it's, it's obviously much bigger than that. Now, let me ask you this, where do you run into issues where not just kind of unrest in a, in a location or in a government, but what if a government is doing things that go against your values or as a company and you have people booked, you've got customers, 
Have there been instances where you've had to pull itineraries, make good, you know, change plans, not just because of their safety, but because of the kind of the ethics or the lack of ethics or a change in regime and whatnot in that location or the destination that they're headed towards? Yeah, this is probably one of the more contentious topics we have and one that's fiercely debated by all staff across the business. We always try and take the framework where we can get customers or travelers into a destination and have local interaction that and getting money into those local economies that will still travel there. All governments and all countries have a range of different pros and cons with the ethics that are taking place in that country. We really try and take the approach that where we can guarantee a local interaction and where money gets into the local economy that will still go there. And by not traveling there, we're, we're generally hurting the actual people on the ground. It's not the government. So we really try and take the framework where if we can get that local experience and we can get the money transaction into those local economies, we'll continue to go there. However, you know, that there are things that happen that, that do change that and cause the itineraries to change, whether it's been the Arab Spring that, that took place. We had to make changes to itineraries where there's different unrests. You know, I think the safety is the, the most important for, component for our travellers and we'll make changes there. But yeah, we, we generally try and ensure that we're able to get that local interaction. But we have had to make changes. You know, we, we were going into to North Korea until quite recently. But yeah, we still travel and we use that framework about getting that interaction and money into local communities. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you're the first global tourism company to have, I think what you call a responsible business department, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny just hearing me say that because it's like, of course you have a responsible business department. Shouldn't all of your business be responsible? But clearly throughout all industries, and I'm sure travel and tourism is no different based on what we've said, not everybody necessarily acts responsibly. What does that department do? And what did what, you know, the, the issue that we just talked about and some of the other things, I'm, my guess is that the governance comes from there and a lot of heated discussions and direction comes from that department. Yeah, well, a lot of heated discussion comes across everywhere. <laughs> I bet. Quite an open <laughs> organization. Uh, we had quite open and rigorous debates about traveling to both Myanmar and North Korea over the last five to 10 years, right from the um, down to people that have been here just, just starting in, the, you know, in their first year at the company. So debate and ideas at Intrepid come from all facets. And I think some of our pretty interesting products like our women's expeditions, our digital detox, our expedition trips come from staff. Those ideas come from people where they're just, just raising these hot topics. But yeah, the responsible business team covers a lot of different components. They manage our B Corp process and the B Corp strategy moving forward, what areas we look to tackle and make improvements on. They manage our climate and environmental strategy, what we're doing to obviously reduce the impact of our trips on the planet, but also reduce the impact of our operations and offices. They're also setting policy and looking at future-proofing the business around things like our engagement with wildlife, our engagement with children, setting those policies and templates on, on how we interact. They're working with our product team to ensure that the product, again, is delivering that positive impact. And we're doing more and more work to, and this is a big agenda for us really over the next couple of years, is impact measurement, trying to get better visibility, understanding around what impact we're having, good, bad, or otherwise, to start report on it. You know, there's that classic cliche in business, what what gets measured gets priority. So I think, you know, by having that, we're able to have those conversations at a senior level in our management meetings. 
So that RB team's really about trying to ensure that we are the best travel company for the world and, and the, the travel experiences that we create are the best travel experience for the, our customers, the communities we interact with, and the environment. And that takes a number of different forms from everything from planet to governance to wildlife to interaction with communities. And who has final say? Is there, does anybody have veto power? I'm, I'm, you're dealing with so many difficult issues. What is your own internal process? And I know you've had some management changes recently. I think you have a new CEO, right? Yeah. So generally, if it gets to the position, it would go to, if it was contentious enough and had wasn't been able to be solved through normal channels, it would go to what's called our core management team. So it's made up of what would be called a C-suite of our management team, the CEO, Chief Operations Officer, Chief Technology, Commercial, and we would debate it. But it sounds like you've created this environment where everyone is allowed to have a voice. And in fact, it's it's probably made you who you are today, right? Because you don't want everybody to agree. Otherwise, the outcome isn't going to be as, as good as it could be. Yeah, we, we try. And obviously, that's not perfect. And it goes through swings and roundabouts and peaks and troughs where it's working beautifully and other points where it creates tension. But yeah, we really try to create an environment where people can develop their own ideas, bring forward new ideas, challenge different stereotypes, you know, and, and have those conversations. And I think a lot of the Interesting things that we've developed have just come have come from people just putting forward ideas and something that they're passionate about and really championing it. I think that's you know a really interesting point. My advice to anyone that's you know interested, whether they're working at a, a company that has purpose built in or they don't have purpose, the power of advocating and taking on an issue and really championing it through your business that you can create change and that other people in the business are watching you. And if, if you take that on, people will rise to the occasion and. and join in and, and, and follow and, and start to make positive change. So, yeah, it's been pretty cool. It doesn't always work, you know, like everything. But, yeah, it does create an environment where we have some pretty interesting and new, new and unique ideas come to the table. Have you had competitors and other companies that aren't competitors reach out to you to learn, to adopt, or to copy some of these better business practices? Yeah, we work with a number. We're, we're a number of companies. We're very transparent for us. We want, you know, I'll probably up a bit about saying we want to be the best travel company for the world. And to do that, we have to help other companies improve. We would love to see our competitors, other companies in the travel sector become B Corps. We have a very clear and transparent integrated report that we release each year around March, April, May that goes through our financials, goes through our environment policies, our people, goes through the different projects we've developed over the course of the year. And that's, a, that's an open book that goes through our business. So yeah, we do work with a number of other organizations. We're very transparent in how we do our carbon, some of our wildlife policies, etc. We do try and be very generous and transparent because we believe that four organizations are doing this, more people are traveling in a sustainable and experience rich way, that is going to be a more positive impact on the planet and there's going to be more communities engaging with tourism in the right way. Also, we're at a very unique moment right now where you have CEOs of major airlines like Air France and KLM and Emirates saying that there's a problem, right? We need a better way of traveling. We need a better way to not just offset, but to reduce the carbon. And I don't think we've ever in history, I've never seen CEOs of some of the major kind of perpetrators of some of the issues. Although there's a stat that flights account for like two and a half, three percent of global greenhouse gas emissions. And I think cows probably account for 30 percent. That's a whole another discussion. So where where where, yeah, where <laughs> we can, that would take it in another direction. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we're we're kind of at this unique kind of tipping point right now. And what do you think of people like Greta Thunberg, Thunberg, I should say? Actually, I think she's taking a boat. 
back to Europe for some conference. I think she's been going back and forth. She's probably spending most of her time on a boat because she won't fly. Do you think it's helpful? I personally think that the net net is that it's positive, but it's also created, I think it's created a lot of discussion. It's also created, strangely enough, a lot of anger and animosity as well. Curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, I I just can't understand the anger component. I, I feel that the anger is just too gone too far. I think that travel is playing a bit and we will see and we need to find ways to travel more consciously. I think we will see a reduction in the amount of short haul flights. I think, you know, we'll see people continue to travel because travel has, some, has amazing positive impacts, which we touched on at the start of this conversation. But I think what we'll see and we're starting to see it is the rise of longer vacations, people traveling more consciously going to one destination longer. We're seeing that now with a pickup in our trips over two weeks. So I think having someone like Greta championing the cause around the climate is amazing. It's absolutely amazing to have someone at that age being able to take this on. I was definitely not this productive as a 16-year-old. No, none of us were. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> not really. And regardless of the cause or what you may think about it, it's amazing person to be able to take that on and, and do that. And we have to also remember that she's you know, still, still a child, but she's doing amazing, amazing things. So to me, I think it's amazing the level of advocacy, advocacy she's doing and getting out there and driving change. There's always these people over history that have had to stand up to make a positive change, whether it's been around labor movements, whether it's been around Me Too, whether it's race. You know, people are, there's these lightning rods that take an amazing hit to start to move the needle forward in the right way. So I think it's amazing that she's drawing attention to it. Travel is part of the problem now, but will be part of the solution. And we're seeing that. We're seeing the travel industry really, you know, starting to look at how we're doing this. You know, Qantas, Virgin are looking at ways to have flights. And I think they've run flights now that weren't using traditional fuel. They were using more biofuels. So we're seeing organizations start to tackle this. And it may only be that 2 to 4% of the overall emissions. But if they can be reduced, that's still a sizable chunk that needs to be reduced and that impact can be positive by moving forward. Just because you're a smaller part doesn't mean you should still be behaving badly. And I think that that rationale is wrong. So, yeah, I think it's amazing that we've got these people out there that are championing the cause and it's driving travel companies to be better. And I think that's amazing. I don't know how old you are, but 1986, when I was 16, I'm just very grateful that there was no social media because I'm not sure I'd be allowed to be a... (laughs) functioning member of society today if there was so yeah yeah. i'm I'm very and also too just for some of my haircuts i think that everyone including my mom is very glad that there's no social media after seeing me in my kurt cobain phase (laughs) right all right so sounds like we're of the same cohort (laughs) speaking of that so what did you do before you got involved in travel or has this been the majority of your career i've been a bit all over the the shop I, i studied pr and history through university, spent a lot of time doing event management and then found myself doing business development up until I was, what, 27, 28 for a number of different sort of tech companies. And at that point, I sort of took a bit of a sea change and total redirection, did some more study around within marketing. And it was right around the time that social media was kicking off and was lucky enough to get a job at, at Peregrine leading our social media and PPC. So really rebooted my career at that point. And, you know, this makes me old, but I was like setting up our Facebook pages and setting up our Twitter pages. Sure. And doing all that, that, <laughs> that sort of stuff. 
So, yeah, and I've, I've now been with the company, what, nine to ten years in a number of different roles across the organisation. And I'm incredibly lucky and privileged to work for a company that enables us to follow our passion and, and make, you know, amazing products where people get to go and see the world, but also take it a step beyond that and sure it has a positive impact. And are you still Chief Purpose Officer as well as Chief Customer Officer? Yeah, so i Chief Customer Officer, but I still lead our purpose initiative. So I'm still leading our advocacy. I still lead the foundation, still responsible for, for the climate initiatives that we put in play. But now the, the big reason for us was we wanted to get purpose more in line with the customer. We wanted to be speaking to the customer about the things that we were doing and also empowering our customers as well. So a big focus in my role is ensuring that we continue to do advocacy, we continue to tackle issues, but we continue to do that and engage our customers on some of these topics. Yeah, I get it. I mean, the customer has to be at the center alongside purpose, but I still like the other title better, just, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I think I I, I did do from that, you know, like that that halo effect of being able to get out and talk on some of these topics. But it's interesting, my, my parents understand a little bit easier what I do now compared to before. I think they thought I was a bit of a, bit of a hippie. So the, the, the change of the job title, I do miss the Chief Purpose Officer name, but it's definitely made it easier for me to, for my parents and grandparents to understand what I do on the daily. Yeah, yeah. Well, God bless them. My, my mother still has no idea what I do. She just says, oh, he's in business, whatever <laughs> that means. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's, just, it's a fun conversation. But yeah. I think also, too, we realized that it was probably siloed and we need to get it into every part of our business more and more. A big focus for us is getting more and more impact into our product. So we've really looked at how we do that in our operations. So, yeah, there's there's more focus across every facet now and, you know, really talking to our customers, engaging them and hearing what, what they want us to be tackling and also understanding how we can make our product better. So as a coffee and caffeine addict, off air, I had mentioned to you that I'm headed with my family to Australia and we're going to, our first stop's in Melbourne. And you mentioned there was a coffee shop. What's the coffee shop that you Many love? coffee shops. Okay. Many, many coffee shops. Melbourne is a great spot for coffee. I think it's one of the better places in the world. I'm a coffee snob. I will get some heat, but my favorite coffee shop is Brother Baba Budan, and that's on our little Burke Street. So Definitely make sure you get to it. It's a little, little coffee bar that feels more like a bar pub type. It's very packed and small, but it has amazing coffee. I am I will definitely take you up on that. I too am a coffee snob. And actually, my espresso machine at home is a Breville, which I believe yeah. is an Australian brand. It's a great espresso machine. Yeah. Yep. But I can't start my day without a triple espresso. It used to be a double. Now it's a triple. God knows what it's going to be in two years. But yeah, I'm, I'm coffee obsessed for sure. My favorite place in New York Happy Bones. I don't know if you've head up there, but Happy Bones are the Lower East Side is a nice little spot. No, I'll do that. I'm, I'm kind of addicted to this place called Seven Grams in New York. I've never, for the record, I'm saying this on air, I've never had crack, but I'm pretty sure that their coffee comes as close to crack <laughs> as, as possible. It's good. It's good. I haven't heard that cross analogy there. Neither have I, but your brother, brother Bubba would be, would be the, the equivalent. It's, uh, it's quite interesting too, just seeing the, the coffee change in New York. Like I, I lived in Toronto, for five years and was in New York probably every other month for work. And just in that time over the last six years, how it was difficult to find coffee, like a certain type in New York. Now it's almost every block. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's great. I'm, I'm all for the small coffee shops and small coffee shop owners. Yeah, that's cool. So now I'm also kicking myself that when we planned our trip to Australia, that we didn't work with you guys. We worked with another company, but it doesn't mean we can't in the future. 
And I would encourage all of my handful of listeners, hopefully it's two handfuls now, to look you guys <laughs> up because I think you have an incredible story and I think we're just scratching the surface. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and I do look forward to meeting you in person one day. And thanks for speaking with me early morning there, thousands and thousands of miles away. We all appreciate it. We appreciate everything you do. Yeah, that's right. You're in the future. Exactly. I was going to ask you earlier if, if President Trump has been impeached since you're living in the future, but he hasn't been yet. Uh, it doesn't look good from what I read this morning, but we'll see, right? We're getting there. Oh, I'm not supposed to be political, right? Well, whatever. Fuck that. Yeah. Interesting sidebar. Since the day that Trump has been elected, we have seen tourism to the USA drop significantly, double digit. Wow. Interesting. Well, isn't it an adventure now? I mean, you'd think. I think America has been interesting like that from the, you know, of all, you know, we have seen in line with presidents, tourism up, go up and down based on global perception of the USA leader, which I don't know if that happens in other countries to the same extent. What about Austria? I just got a note from the consulate because my mom's Austrian and a Holocaust survivor that they're now allowing children of Holocaust survivors to apply for Austrian citizenship. And I've heard that Vienna is like the most livable city in the world. So I'm like, hmm. Maybe that's where I'll yeah, retire. Vienna is. Yeah. Vienna is. It's supposed to, I haven't been there myself, but we are seeing tourism. And well, the whole, that whole block of Europe from there east is, is incredibly popular and has been one of the fastest growing tourism regions over the last couple of years. And talk about good coffee. Really good coffee. Yeah. Listen, Lee, it was awesome having you on. I really appreciate your time. And I encourage everyone to check out the Intrepid Group and all of the opportunities to get involved and to be able to give back. And one more time, what did you say about making the world a better place? Or I'm going to be the best travel company for the world. Best travel company for the world. Thank you again, Lee. Thanks, man. Cheers. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always on point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com, follow our Instagram at the Bop Podcast, and learn more about our host at AaronQuicken.com. Yeah.